Welcome to God's Messenger Lighthouse Podcast. This is your host, Brother Scott Messenger, bringing you Chapter 9, Part 4, From Evidence Not Seen, A Woman's Miraculous Faith in the Jungles of World War II, by Darlene Dibbler-Rose. Chapter 9, Part 4, Recalling the Drawing by Brother Geraldus and the Words, God Kissed the Biston, it spoke comforting words that Russell's life had adorned the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he had been loved by those who knew him. Brother Geraldus could not have known how beautiful that drawing was to me. I prayed the Lord to forgive me. I had asked to hear from one person, and my Lord had given me five responses to that request. Once again, my Lord had done the exceeding abundant above what I had asked. That's a ratio of 5 to 1. I was reminded of another time when it was 92 to 1. How good my Lord is. I rose early the next morning to bathe with soap and comb my hair. Then I picked up Mrs. Lee's Bible, my letters, and the drawing, my comb and soap, my spoons, and the burned trinkets rescued from the ashes. Piling them neatly on a rag, I tied a hobo knot to facilitate carrying them and walked away. After a few steps, I paused to look back at the old shack. Within its walls, we had experienced the heights and depths of emotions. Our nerves had been stretched almost to the breaking point. We did not write the scenario. We were but the reluctant actors. But the drama of these past two months will be remembered long after you, Old Shack have fallen to your knees, rotted, and been reclaimed by the jungle floor. I joined the others, drifting toward the headquarters. When the truck arrived, to my surprise and delight, Wizji uh, Kendo stepped down to greet me. Oh, Wizji, I squealed. I had no idea you would be coming. She handed me a sack, saying that Mr. Yamajai had said she should bring me a dress and shoes. So he had thought the other shoes, though they had a beautiful shine, were not appropriate with a dress. How thoughtful. I ran to the well and closed to change a, as quickly as possible. Bless you, Wesaji. She had included some lingerie. The material of the dress I recognized immediately. I knew its history. Helen Sunday and her husband, Andrew, were fellow students in St. Paul and longtime friends. Baby David Jerome was born in Makassar before they left for Borneo. Helen had asked me to buy material for two dresses and have Tante Mian make them like a dress of mine that she had always admired. Westergy's aunt had evidently not been able to get them sent because of the war. I was sure that Helen wouldn't mind my borrowing this one. It was made of a blue Ryan material with splashes of black and white for design and a black and white tie belt. I slipped the dress over my head and looked down to see that it nearly reached my ankles. Never mind, I thought. I'll uh, cinch the belt in very tight and blouse the top over it. It didn't look too bad. The shoes were white sandals with ankle straps and high heels. 
They fit quite well, but I needed a bit of practice walking in heels again, so I circled the well several times. I would find it very embarrassing if I fell off my shoes in front of the other people. I got out my comb, ran it through my hair several times, then slipped it back into my rag bag. Did I look all right? I didn't, don't, don't know, but look out, fashion world, here I come. Stepping out of the enclosure, I postured, then walked with mincing steps, holding my rag bag as though it were a fashionable bag. Cheers went up, punctured with clapping and calls of, Mivro, Dibbler, you look beautiful. Never forget, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I had to make a joke of it to keep the lump that was rising in my throat from getting the best of me. These were friends to whom I was saying goodbye. Most of them would be going to Makassar today, so we parted saying, I'll see you in Makassar, knowing, in reality, that we might never see one another again. I went over to Mr. Yamajai and Sweet Seventeen, who stood talking to the Japanese officer who had come on the truck. Mr. Yamajai introduced us, mentioning that he was like me. I didn't understand what he meant, so made no response except to smile and nod. He put out his hand, and we shook hands. I looked toward Mr. Yamajai and Sweet Seventeen. I go now, Tuan, Tuan, gentlemen. I want to thank you for your help in getting the truck for me. May God bless you both. Remain safely. Tuan, Tuan. Thank you, Nijunja. A safe journey. We bowed to each other. Then Mr. Yamajai went into his office and closed the door. That was the last time I ever saw him. Sweet Seventeen watched till Wistji and I were seated in the uh, cab of the truck, and the Japanese officer stood in the bed of the truck. We waved and called goodbye to everyone. Sweet Seventeen raised his hand in a salute probably to the man in the back, Westji, and I talked non-stop, catching up on the news of her family and the friends from the tabernacle. It occurred to me to wonder how uh, Westji knew Mr. Yamajai, since she said he had asked for the dress and shoes for me. I don't know him, but he told the chaplain to get them, and the chaplain came to me when he told me they were for you. I told him I was coming along as you were my friend. Wesji, who's the Japanese in the back? Mr. Yamajai introduced us and said he was like me. That's the Japanese chaplain. I thought you knew. He really is a true believer. The truck slowed, then turned into what had been the Pari Pari Dutch police barracks. A gentleman stepped forward to help us down from the truck. Then others came over to introduce themselves and shake hands, some I recognized from Makassar. The first gentleman said that they had morning coffee ready if we would like some. Uh, then we would go to the cemetery. Was I agreeable? I thanked him for many for making the arrangements. Salib's Highlands coffee is famous for its flavor, and they had the real thing to serve. It tasted wonderful after the many times used re-roasted coffee grounds we had been using. I asked if I might have a second cup, which pleased them. We were speaking both Dutch and English. 
Some of the men were busy in the kitchen. The cemetery was not too distant from the camp. The men had cleaned around the graves, and each grave had flowers on it. Someone pointed to a nearby grave and said, This is Mrs. Dibbler's grave, or this is Mr. Dibbler's grave. I looked at the wooden cross. There was no name on it, so I decided that Brother Geraldus must have just sketched a cross on a grave. Uh, his was not intended to be a true rep reproduction. I knelt thinking, it's like an unmarked grave. I could hear a discussion going on behind me. Then a hand was laid on my shoulder. We're very sorry, but the man made a mistake. This is not Mr. Dibbler's grave. His is over there, or over here. Please don't feel embarrassed, I said. It's all right. Whoever made Russell's cross was a master craftsman. It looked like the drawing. The flower arrangements on the grave had been done with care. Everything was an expression of love for the man whom they had buried here two years earlier. I wept softly as a terrible sense of aloneness swept over me. When I leave here, Russell's grave will be so very far away. Then the Lord gently reminded me, You do not sorrow as those who have no hope. First Thessalonians 4.13 Here are but the remains of his earthly body, but... Uh, he is at home with me, my child. This is not where you belong. There is a world of lonely, hurting people out there. Some are right there behind you. With the hobo knot of my rag bag, I dried my face and turned to join the waiting men. They stood with bowed heads, remembering the man, and one, no doubt, was remembering that at this graveside he had invited Christ to come into his heart. Back at the barracks, four long tables had been placed to form a square. The places were set around the outside of the tables so that everyone could see everyone else with ease. They had set places for West G and me in the center of one of the tables. There before us was an enormous bowl of beautiful white rice and other serving dishes piled high with food such as I had not seen in years. It had been cooked by the men in Indonesian style, my favorite cuisine. The realization of the sacrifice these made, men had made and the labor expended by them nearly took my appetite away, but not for long. I couldn't help it. I ate like a starved POW. Dinner over, the benches were pushed back in a space from the tables. What followed may have been planned, but there was a spontaneity that made me think it hadn't been previously arranged. A gentleman at one of the tables stood up, introduced himself, and told what Russell had meant to him, then someone at another table, then another, always introducing themselves, spoke, sometimes recalling an amusing antidote at which we laughed. Often the stories were very personal, but no one was embarrassed. Certain phrases or words impressed me. In describing Russell's personality, people spoke of him as kind, patient, helpful, cheerful, and an inspiration. One man said he cared about us as individuals, and no matter where or when, he made himself available to us. He was a good listener and seemed to know when we just wanted someone to listen to us. Two men whom 
I had known before the war mentioned that when Russell was praying, they opened their eyes to look at him, half expecting to see the Lord standing there. It was as though he were talking to someone who was right there next to him. They made mention of the practical, timely messages that Russell gave. His circumstances were our circumstances. He ate what we ate. He endured what we were experiencing, so he knew how to explain to us the source of his help, which was God. There were few who did not make reference to the Christmas Eve service of 1942. The whole camp had gathered, and Russell had related the story of the other wise men, man so clearly and simply that even the Dutchmen, who were not fluent speakers of English, could understand. The story had left a lasting impression on them. Father Bell had told me of this service, but even so, I was moved to tears. Westji came to me or to my rescue when she pressed a large white handkerchief into my wet hands. I had been wiping my face with my hands, then my hands with the hobo knot of my rag bag. Uh, when I stood to respond, my heart was crying to God for the right words and the ability to speak without breaking down. I had been mulling over many thoughts in my mind. I had never realized that I would have the opportunity of telling them face to face how much their kindnesses to Russell had meant to me. This day that they had given me was a treasure. At the cemetery, I'd seen how much physical energy they had expended in cleaning around the graves and gathering flowers when they should have been resting and recuperating after the terrible ordeal they had just experienced on the death march. Many of you had not met me prior to this occasion, and I recognized that all this was not for me per se. This has been like a testimonial dinner, a memorial service to honor a man you loved, a man whom God used to minister to you in your time of need. This was a very beautiful way of saying farewell and thank you to your friend once more before you leave this place. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of it. I've been thinking much lately about the balance in this matter of giving and receiving. Jesus spoke of it in these words, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. Luke 6.38 Mr. Jaffrey, Mr. Presswood, and Dr. Goedblood mentioned how you have all ministered to Mr. Dibbler. Then we are uh, still your debtors. I have mentioned this to my friends in Kampali, especially those of Barracks 8, wives of some of you here. I gave to them, but with what abundant overflowing measure I have received from them again and again. I pray that God will return to you in abundant measure the many kindnesses you have shown me today. I sat down, and for a long moment no one stirred. Finally, several men left the table and went outside. Others came to speak with uh, me. Brother Gerardinus introduced himself, and I told him how very much I appreciated the drawing. In fact, I have here carefully wrapped around my Bible so I don't have to fold it. It's very beautiful, especially what you wrote on it. It pleased him that it was meaningful to me. After the others went outside 
a Mr. Van der Horst stepped up to hand me a notebook. I recognized it immediately as the one I had placed in the pillowcase for Russell when the Japanese had taken him away from Binting Tinji so long ago. He said he had been teaching Russell Dutch. We talked about his lovely family who had asked to come into our barracks for the Christian fellowship. He knew of his daughter's death as the women had been permitted to send a letter to their husbands shortly after Lentigy passed away. He mentioned that there was a poem in the notebook for me. I want you to know that at the funeral I opened my heart and asked Christ to come in. I know now that I shall see my dear friend Dibbler again. I have been praying that God would comfort you too. My heart was thrilled, thinking what a happy family reunion awaited him in Makassar. The men who had gone out first came to say that the truck was now ready, but they wanted to ask about M Mr. Yamajai. Did I know that just before he was transferred to Kampalai, he had beaten a man to death? They had all been deeply distressed, thinking of a man like that being in charge of their wives and children. But we hear he is a changed man. Is that true? I told them of my contact with him after learning of Russell's death and of how he had visited me in prison. Hmm. Well, we said it took the woman, women to tame the tiger. Mrs. Dibbler, we have some fruit and vegetables we'd like to give you. These are eggs. Maybe you'll, you'd better carry them by hand. I really didn't know what to say, for on the bed of the truck were three copra bags full of all kinds of things. They stood waving to us until they were out of our out of sight uh, around the bend of the road. It was a day for remembering. When we drove to Makassar, it was still light. Westji wondered if I would mind stopping on uh, the beach for a while. The chaplain wanted to talk with me. I liked the suggestion, so Westji told the driver where to go near the seawall where we could sit down. We talked about the war and the effect of peace on both our countries. They had made a statement. The Junja, some people would not understand if I said this to them, but I think you will. I'm thanking God we lost the war. I looked up quickly to see if he realized what he had just said. I really mean that. We are a proud people, and if we had won the war, the doors of Japan would never again have opened to missionaries. Many people would say I was a traitor to my country, but I love my country and my people enough to suffer the humiliation of defeat that they might have the opportunity I have had of hearing that Christ is the Son of God and that he died for all. There are many among the soldiers of my country who are now asking questions. There is a receptivity to my ministry since the worship of our ancestors has failed to give us the victory. They are searching, and I ask that you pray for them. I pray for you, and I'm sorry about your husband. You will go back to America now? Yes, my furlough is three years overdue. I want to see my family, and I need rest. Will you return to Makassar? That I cannot say. 
but I do know that I will always be a missionary. I sometimes wondered if God might not be preparing me to be a missionary to your people. However, my Lord will lead me, and I will know where he wants me to minister. We talked mostly about spiritual things, and from his responses, I felt that he really loved the Lord. He said that he was an army chaplain because that was the will of God for his life. This explained Mr. Yamajai's statement to me. He likes you. I also learned that he and Mr. Yamajai were friends and that they had talked about the Lord. My heart praised God because of this encouraging news. Wesenji said that we had better go, so the chaplain waved for the driver to take us on to the press woods. He and the driver carried the copra bags of fruit and vegetables into the house. Then they left to take Wesenji home as it was getting dark. I handed the eggs to Ruth, who said, My, my, what have we here? Eggs? I'd almost forgotten what an egg looks like. Ernie helped us unpack the copra bags. There were so many hands of bananas that when we laid them side by side, they stretched from one end of the fairly large lounge room to the other. Well, Ruth, some people may have wall-to-wall carpeting, but we have wall-to-wall bananas. I shared the events of the day with them as we started eating our way through the wall-to-wall bananas. I was scheduled to leave the next afternoon with Margaret Kemp and the Wetzel family. Mrs. Miss Seeley uh, didn't wish to leave. Borrowing a needle and thread from uh, Ruth, I hemmed my dress to a proper uh, length in the bedroom Ruth had cleaned for my use. I found a single bed with a kepok mattress on a wood frame. That was real luxury and marvelous a marvelous improvement over the slated floor of the old shack in the jungle. I lay down, closed my eyes, and two minutes later opened them to find that it was morning. At last, it seemed that way. I had been both physically and emotionally drained by the trip to Paripari. Uh, many came to wish me a safe trip back to America. Women brought husbands to meet me. I was glad to meet them, or meet those for whom we had been praying, and to know that God had answered prayer. How lovely to see their happy faces, and to know that, at long last, they could cast aside the spirit of heaviness and be clothed with the garment of praise. Shortly after the noon hour, Wesenji arrived in the truck to say we had to leave immediately, as the truck was needed elsewhere. Mr. Yamajai had arranged with the Australian major to put the truck and driver at my disposal until I left on the plane. Wesenji said she would tell the chaplain to thank them for me. I said goodbye to Ruth and Ernie, never realizing that Ernie would outlive VJ Day by only a few months. And there's a note down here at the bottom. It says, Ruth, while lying ill herself in a hospital, uh, learned of her homecoming. A dear man of God, the last of the Makassar male staff, he had succumbed to the deprivation and cruelties of the imprisonment. It was a privilege to have known and worked with Ruth and Ernie in Makassar, an unselfish, kind, loyal friend, 
a servant of God, and his fellow workers greatly loved. Such a man uh, was the uh, Reverend W. Ernest uh, Presswood. Back up into the text. Uh, Darlene continues on. She writes, Arriving at the harbor, we found uh, Leon, our cook, her sister, Beth, the Jaffrey's cook, and Rhoda, the Jaffrey's laundryman and gardener, uh, waiting for us. It was a sad meeting and a sadder parting. Leon had a handkerchief of Russell's, which she asked to keep for remembrance. Beth had come to say goodbye and to share my grief in the loss of Russell and Dr. Jaffrey. They had remained in Makassar so that they could help us. When the war was over, Rhoda uh, had been crying with us, and when I asked about his wife, Rising, he said that that was what he had come to tell me. She had remained in the mountains while he was looking for work in Makassar. It was very difficult because the Japanese paid only half of what we had received from the Jafferies. Rising had become very ill and then sent for Rhoda, but she died before he could get to her. She left a message for me to say she was going to be with Jesus and for me to believe in him and get ready so we could meet in heaven. She wanted you to know I've waited for you to come to Makassar so I could tell you about her and that I'm ready to ready to. How well I remember her little brown pixie face aglow with the joy of the Lord that morning four years earlier when she gave her heart to Jesus Christ and now the joy of knowing that Rhoda her husband was a believer too. Out of death came life, eternal life for a dear Borgias man. The Wazels uh, arrived at the Cat Catalina, uh, was taxing in toward uh, the buoy. A dinghy took them out to the plain. Then Margaret Kemp arrived as we stood waiting for the dinghy to return. I began closing the door on the epoch of my uh, on this epoch of not my life i turned my face into the winds of the future with something akin to panic i remembered arriving in the indies on my first wedding anniversary and now nearly eight years later i was going home alone in borrowed clothes widowed at 26 with not a thing in the world that i could call my own except my letters a drawing and a notebook two spoons a few trinkets and a burned-out watch tied in Wesage's handkerchief in my mind's eye. I saw two lonely crosses on remote hillsides, under the one lay the remains of my beloved Russell, under the other the remains of dear Dr. Robert A. Jaffrey. Suddenly I was awash in a sea of great bitterness. Lord, I will never come back to these islands again. They have robbed me of everything that was most dear to me. I kissed Wesley and thanked her for all she had meant to me through my years in Makassar. The young men had come back with the dinghy and pulled it onto the beach so that we wouldn't get our shoes wet. Then they shoved it into the water. I'll not look back, but I heard the sound of running feet and voices calling, Nana Kemp, Nana Joe Dibbler, Salamat. The Jalan, a peaceful journey. Then the voices were raised in song. One, 
I had sung many times with them at the close of the service of services in the tabernacle. God be with you till we meet again by his counsel's guide, uphold you with his sheep securely uh, fold you. God be with you till we meet again. I had said I wouldn't look back, but I did, and God broke my heart. Those were my friends from the Bible school, from the tabernacle, Dyaks from Borneo, people from Sumatra, Bali, uh, Lombok, Ratai, Mindanao, Salibs, Alior, and Ambon, all from the island world of the Indies, uh, united as one in Christ Jesus, singing a farewell to us with tears running down their cheeks, hands waving. My own tears flowed down my cheeks, and all the bitterness was washed away. Please, Father, forgive me. They are why I'm here. Not just because I was Russell's wife. I came because, as a little girl, you called me and promised me you'd you I'd and I promised you'd I'd go anywhere no matter what cost forgive me Lord till we meet till we meet till we meet at Jesus feet till we meet till we meet God be with you till we meet again Nanya Nanjunja Likas Kambalai Miss Mrs come back quickly We waved and I called Some day I will come back again Strong arms helped us up the ladder, around the machine gun mount, and into seats in the blister of the plane. They buckled us in with seatbelts. The engines were revving up, ready for takeoff. I looked at my friends still waving and whispered, Precious friends, someday I'll come home to you. Next time, Chapter 10.